You listen to me. You're Nick fucking... Oh! Whoa, Cage! Hello and welcome to a special episode of Double Reel, the monthly magazine podcast for the discerning film nerd. My name's James Adamson and I'm a film nerd with a geeky love of movies, here to entertain you with discussion and stories from the film world, along with my co-host, also called James Adamson. This is an anthology episode collecting all the films from my co-host James's year-long project for 2023, Legal Cage of Consent. Nick Cage is something of a cult figure to this podcast, fascinated as we are by both the good and bad films he's made and his unique approach to acting. James asked listeners for suggestions for a project for this year and jumped at the chance when the suggestion came back to do a collection of Cage's films. James found a website which would pick a film at random, so he never knew what he'd be required to see next. James watched the films, told us what he thought of them, and we recorded the results. Now, these Nick Cage film reviews were features in our double real monthly episodes, so if you listen to every pod we did this year, you will have heard all of this content already, and you may want to skip this one. However, if you didn't catch them all or you just like to experience this Nick Cage journey in one unadulterated hit, please listen on and enjoy. The other thing that we tend to talk about is our New Year's resolutions. And you'll be familiar with me talking about my New Year's resolution, but... What was quite interesting was at the end, end of last uh, episode, or the, when we were talking about this last episode, you said, why don't we invite people to suggest a resolution for you, James? And we had a couple of very interesting ones, uh, a couple of ones about like different film-like stuff. Like when, when a new film comes out and it's like the big, big, like next, uh, next big thing being pushed on Netflix, just watch it. Don't hesitate, just watch it, and you'll end up watching a range of different films. A few other things, nothing quite grabbed us, except someone said, why don't you do a Nicolas Cage season? And you immediately jumped on that. This sort of, that would be interesting. And I'm very excited about this. James, tell me what you're going to do with Nicolas Cage in the year of 2023. Well, I haven't come up with a really good title for it yet. Maybe something like Cage the Elephant. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm fucking regretting it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Basically, what I did was I thought, yeah, we can do a year of the Nick Cage, expecting like you know some classics like The Wicker Man and like these you know these kind of memeable performances. Yeah. What what I ended up getting was um, the you. Uh, so what I was going to do is I was going to watch a film for January because we we decided on this at the end of January and then a film for February. So I got to watch two Nicolas Cage films. Oh goody! Um, the first one being USS Indianapolis. And the second one being Trespass. So, not off to a great start in terms of the potential for enjoyment that you can have with Nick Cage performance. Like, I was hoping for the Wicker Man off the bat, and I got the USS Indianapolis. So, so just which, to, just, which made me glad that the Sharks won. <laughs> so, just, just just to explain, though, you you have found, I don't know if it's a website oh, yes. or something else. It's, it's just a Nick Cage film picker. So, you just click it, and it's got Nick Cage's mouth. And it just spews out a film, and it just generates a random film. So there's so, so all the, sorts. That so you this can is get. this is what I'm very excited about because what what I've done with mine is I picked like a, a director that I'm very interested in, and I thought about the twelve films that I was going to do, and I sort of curated it, and and that's one way of doing things. You have gone down the route of chaos, chaos and mayhem. That you are just you have to you have to click something. It's like Russian roulette. You don't know what you're going to get, and Nicolas Cage has got such a wild and varied. Uh, film career, you could be getting Leaving Las Vegas, which you won an Oscar for Best Actor for, which is taken seriously as a film, or you could get The Rock, one of these other big blockbusters, or you could have some of the weird, crazy shit he's done down the, down the track. So you click it, and these films are being handed to you by fate. Yeah. Yes. So that's basically, it. And, and basically, you're doing two because you missed one for January. So you're doing January and February together, and then going forward, you're going to do one a month. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I am. So, so walk me through what happened when you click these films. Well, it spewed out USS Indianapolis in Trespass, is so, what it did. <laughs> so tell me about USS Indianapolis. 
we, we, we mentioned it before, didn't we? Because we had a, a one that got away about someone else trying to do a version of this story, which was immortalized in Jaws. It's about the USS Indianapolis that delivered the atom bomb and then was sunk and the men were stuck in the water with sharks. And that's why it was a story that was referenced in Jaws. This is Nick Cage playing the captain of the ship that, that went yeah, down. Yeah, the Admiral right? or whatever, yeah. yeah. So, so how did it play out? It should be so easy to make this film because Robert Shaw did it for you. Yeah, yeah. Is that his name, Robert Shaw? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he ma- he basically describes the entire film for them and it, uh, it was just, I couldn't watch it. I could not. There was no charisma. It was, it was like Nicolas Cage was trying to be serious because... You can't you can't be Nick Cage and be like I'm a vampire. Yeah, yeah. Pe- when, pe- people know. would people would probably think he was being disrespectful to the story if he went full Cage, right? Yeah. So it's just it's just, uh, so, it's from, just from, horrible. From, from memory, this is quite low budget, and I remember when I was reading up about this, I didn't see the film myself, but I remember reading some of the criticisms of it, saying that it it had clearly been done on the cheap and it looked cheap. Like, did the sharks look real? Did they look like rubber bath toys? What was going on? It cost forty million and made one point seven back. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was you know that low budget, but but when when you're when you're talking about like uh, an American kind of navy ship and a period drama and filming in water, that that can be expensive, can't it? Yeah, um, yeah. It was just, it was just shit. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm glad the sharks get their dinner at the end of this because it was just pathetic. And you know, it wasn't even that. It wasn't even a terrible cast. Yeah, you've got Nicolas Cage who can be very hit or miss. You've got uh, Tom Sizemore. Who can also um, be very hit or miss. He's, he's usually this like... Is true. Some of his films he only made to kind of pay his legal bills. Legal bills. You've got Thomas Jane, who again has been in some very hit and miss films. Yeah. Um, and everything was just there. and But it wasn't. That's the problem. It was, just, it was pathetic. It was just, it was just unwatchable. It's just it's a hot pile of, you, you know, Pacific shit. It, Okay. I never want to have to watch a film like that ever again. How, how far did it go forward? Did it did it do the stuff? Because I remember when we were talking about the story on the um, on the pod that, that someone else was trying to make a film of is that uh, in recent years a high school kid ended up doing some research which exonerated the captain and there were court cases or court martials after he got back. Did it go into any of that, or was it all, was it all just the action in the water? Um, there's. I think I couldn't. I couldn't even try and elaborate because genuinely, I got about forty-five minutes into this, and it was just it was just weak. The it feels like they're trying to create characters, and they didn't need to. This film should have just been a tense film. I don't think you even you just need the bit where this film gets yeah where the ship gets sunk, and then you've got that tension of everyone sat in the water. It should have been a horror film more than yeah. anything. Yeah, and it wasn't. It was. Yeah, I mean, it's directed... Yeah. I'm, I'm looking it up on Wikipedia now. It's directed by Mario Van Peebles, who had one very good film with um, uh, New Jack City, but I wouldn't have said this was exactly his speed as a director. Um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> a shame. It doesn't sound like it was enjoyably bad either, unfortunately. Um, no, like like I said, because Nick Cage doesn't get to do his Nick Cage things and you can kind of yeah. go, what the fuck is this guy doing? It's like he's got kind of pretend to be serious. And that's kind of the problem with Trespass as well. Yeah. Except Trespass is directed by Joel Schumacher. Hey! Uh... Now, Joel Schumacher is such an interesting director because he can be... He's done some stuff which is really, really very good. Um, some of some of it's good in a sort of a serious way, like Tigerland. Some of it's good in a fun camp and silly way, like The Lost Boys. He's also done some fucking dog shit, like Batman and Robin. So, what's what, what's Trespass about? I don't even know what that what what it's about. So it's meant to be about a married couple taken hostage by extortionists, which is actually quite an interesting story. And if you have two leads like Nick Cage and Nicole Kidman, you think this might be quite 
Nicole Kidman's in it as well. Yep. Okie dokie. You've also got Ben Mendelsohn. He's always good, or usually good. Yeah, usually he's okay. Um, but yeah, that, and he plays the like the leader, the lead extortionist. And you think, okay, you've got an interesting kind of, you can create some interesting dynamics and scenes and conversations with those three. Um, but yeah, it's just. It's, the extortionists, they try to extort money from them by threatening to kill them with lethal injections. Yeah. Which is just mental. Like, what, you, what the fuck are you talking about? You're, you're, oh, how do we extort these people for money? Do we do we say we're going to kidnap their daughter and we won't give them their daughter unless they give us the money? No, we're just going to threaten them with fucking lethal injections. Um, and then... So, Nicole Kidman's character recognises one of the extortionists and they used to have an affair. Um, yeah, it, it, it turns out this was um, this was the last film that uh, uh, Joel Schumacher ever directed. Oh, so well. it's possibly kind of, you'll get in the last gasp of what was a very like variable career anyway. He, he, and he hadn't done anything that brilliant in nearly a decade. Uh, his last sort of un... Sort of sort of uh, straight-up successful film was Phone Booth in 2002. So you're, you're talking about a career that's, if you're going to be harsh, circling the drain a little bit by the time he's directing this. It's all, he's, he's got some big names for it, though. I mean, Nicole Kidman, and that's two Oscar-winning actors. I know that I'm not a big fan of Nicole Kidman, but that's two fairly Nobody big names. Is. <laughs> but uh, there you go. So... That, that's a shame because obviously that's not the most fun you could have had. I mean, there's some really weird, silly stuff you could have had as well, right? Uh, but I yeah. guess we'll, we'll, we'll see what March brings you, yeah? James's New Year's resolution, which was recommended uh, by uh, a listener to the pod, uh, was to watch Nick Cage films all year. And you added the very interesting feature of this where it's the, the Nick Cage randomizer where you go on, you click a link, and it suggests a film, so you have no control over what Nick Cage film you're going to see. Now, that has good and bad. You know, if you're hoping for a particularly good or particularly enjoyably bad Cage film, you might miss that and get some other sort of dreck. But it does add an element of fun and surprise where I've no idea what film you were forced to watch, so take it away and surprise me. So, this month, it was Ghost Rider. <laughs> Excellent! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh great. Okay. All right. Talk me through Ghost Rider. I didn't finish. <laughs> Ghost Rider Two: Spirit of Vengeance. Oh no! Oh no! It's Ghost Rider Two. That's even worse. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Talk. Talk me through Ghost Rider Two. <laughs> I don't even know what Go- Ghost Rider Two doesn't know what Ghost Rider Two is. But I'd I'd watched um, the first one back when it came out and thought, this is boring. Just a really boring character. Um, Just a really shit comic book character that no one gives a fuck about. But I didn't think much of it. And then this generator made me watch the sequel. And to be honest, the only thing that got me through watching it was that there's a character called Mephistopheles. Yeah. And all it made me think of is that line in Team America where the guy goes, and I was raped by Mr. Mistopheles. <laughs> that, uh, that is the only, only highlight from this film, that the name of one of the characters sort of sounds like Mr. Mistopheles from Cats. <laughs> that is it. So, it's so, so bad. I couldn't even tell you the plot. Ghost Rider cuts about being a dick for two hours. That That's it. And it's it, got Nicolas Cage, Kieran Hines, Idris Elba in it, and it's still <laughs> what a criminal, awful. What a criminal waste of a cast, man. It's got Christopher Lambert in it. Well, that's a mixed blessing. He's been in some bloody terrible films in his day. I know, but him and his forehead could have maybe done something in this film. Yeah. But no, it was just terrible. It, don't watch it. Because I had to. I've watched it for you. Nothing happens. Nothing of note happens that would make you want to spend the fiver to rent it or buy the DVD. Oh, no. I mean, Don't it's... bother. Instead, just punch yourself in the cock for two hours. 
yeah, that I mean, would be more enjoyable. The whole kind of there's potentially quite cool that it's like a burning ghost bike and he looks like a like a skeleton, but if if you do actually like that sort of thing, there is something that you might find enjoyable instead. There is an animated version of um, Terry Pratchett's Soul Music, um, in which um, it, you know, in, in Terry Pratchett's Disc World, he he uses that that world to kind of reflect on other things. So he has a he he does uh, a book in which uh, the, the films are invented, and he does a book in which kind of the you know the, the telegraph is invented and revolutionised communications. He does like uh, you know setting up a police force in Discworld, and soul music is about the invention of rock and roll in the Discworld and how rock and roll plays out in in his funny quirky world. And one of the things that happens is that his character of death, the Grim Reaper. Um, his world is changed by the, sp- the spirit of rock and roll. And instead of riding a, a horse, he rides a-, a-, a death motorbike around. And the Grim Reaper kind of flies around over the top of a giant um, rock and roll gig on a-, on a sort of a burning death motorcycle. And that's quite fun. If if you want to see an entertaining film that features that kind of death on a motorcycle, that might be that might be the antidote. But n- nothing else to Alan Ghost Rider 2? Nah. No, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> Now, your resolution, uh, which we picked up from January onwards, uh, was to do uh, a feature on uh, a, a Nicolas Cage film picked at random. You found this internet randomizer where you almost you push a button and it spits out a Nick Cage film for you to watch. And we still don't have a name for this, do we? Well, I've just gone back into the conversation we had on Messenger. Mm-hmm. And I think we either pick one or we let the audience pick one. Okay. So... You didn't even message me saying I've come up with. <laughs> Just going back to this. You didn't even message me saying oh, I've had a few uh, ideas for the, for the title of this. You just messaged me, right, with Cade Rage. <laughs> quarter past eight on a on a February the twenty first in the in the evening. Cade Rage, Age of Cage, Cage and Onion. I about that one. All the world's a cage. I do like that. Cage, cage against the dying of the light. That was mine. You said coprocagia, cage <laughs> turner. I suggested you've caged horribly. <laughs> cage concern. Is that all the ones we had? Caged heat, caged fury, caged chaos, cage of enlightenment. My body is a cage. Cage against the machine. Glass cage of emotion. Cage limit. Legal cage of consent. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we, we did a bit of brainstorming there, didn't we? Cage sex location, cage of <laughs> extinction. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I think legal cage of consent might be my favourite one. <laughs> Let's go with legal cage of consent. Why not? Oh, I like that one, but also the audience yeah. really liked any of the ones I, if that I've just if, read out. If we get a nomination for anything better, we'll do that. But for the so, moment, our working title is legal cage of consent. <laughs> so... <laughs> So what what Nick Cage film did you get spat out you at random? I got month? Lord of War. Oh, interesting. Which is actually quite a good film. I I watched it about a year ago for the first time and thought, yeah, that was all right. I absolutely love the opening monologue or kind of narration from Nick Cage's character. And you know, have you seen it before? No, I haven't. Oh. I remember you telling me about the opening being really kind of striking. Something to do with an opening shot as well as the narration. Yeah, so I don't want to spoil it, but it basically so shows the kind of different guns and weapons that Nick Cage has sold, but it shows the production of a bullet Yeah, from start to, you know, the metal casing, the gunpowder going in it, through the factory line into a box, all the different people that open these boxes and look at it, and then it shows you being taken to, it looks like somewhere in Africa where there's a civil war going on, and the bullet gets loaded into an AK and filed, and uh, yeah, it's and it shows you like that traditional bullet shot, it's just, it's an amazing opening sequence, I think it's brilliant, and Nick Cage is kind of very dry, um, monotonous narration, is just brilliant on top of it. The rest of the film can never live up to that yeah. opening shot because the opening shot is just so well thought out of it. Just it's so it's so fucking good. Um, but the rest of the film is still quite good. It shows a guy who 
is you know selling guns to everyone in he doesn't he doesn't fully get into the idea of him wrestling with you know the impact he's having on people it just shows his life kind of falling apart um because um you know I think it's, it won't be the FBI, it'll be the CIA are just on his case tracking him down. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a, it's a great, it's a great film. If you've got, it's a, it's a different film. It's not really like a blockbuster. It's just like a, it's just Nick Cage not, Nick Cage not doing his, I'm a vampire. It's Nick Cage just playing a guy whose life falls apart because of the, the industry he's in. It's a great film. Oh, very good. Well, I'm glad you picked that up. Um, yeah, yeah, I didn't and, get and, fucking ruined by fucking Ghost Rider two. Yeah, and 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 obviously one of our um, one of our features in the next episode is a Nick Cage film, so you're getting lots of Nick Cage this month. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's know. yeah. It's uh, it's interesting that was directed by Andrew Nichol, who's kind of more known for sort of sci-fi stuff, although he has done a couple of things outside that genre. He's the one who wrote the Truman Show, uh, and wrote and directed Gattaca, which is a film I really love. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it's uh, yeah. I'm glad you like that. It's always uh, it's always good to see. He's doing a. It's an interesting because he just started doing some franchise films at that time. He was doing National Treasure and 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 and, and Ghost Rider and, and, and a sort of weird stuff in there. So, but he's always his career role is is so varied um, that you'll find him. You know, something really shit is followed by something really genuinely good and interesting. The way he makes his films, so. Um, yeah, glad you enjoyed that one. I must watch Lord of War. It, 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 it literally everything you say about it says I should watch it. Um, so I'll have to pick up on that. This isn't a film that I watched or a feature, but I had a dream that Kevin Hart was a serial killer last night. I'd watch that film, and I thought, like, but I mean, like, he strangled 114 women to death, kind of serial killer. And I thought, oh man, I really liked him in Jumanji, but. <laughs> So the movie, the movie's not about him playing a serial killer. The movie would be that he actually is one. No, it was just me sat watching the TV and the news came on and it was Kevin Hart as an absolute psychotic murderer. Yeah, that, I suppose that, that's like... That react, was it. It's like your dream subconscious is uh, reacting to the endless celebrity misconduct news. James, your 12-month project is each month you're going to watch a Nick Cage film picked at random. Yes, uh, I and am. You've uh, watched some rather kind of uh, varied ones. You've got Lord of War, which is far more in the more credible, decent cage canon. You've also watched some absolute nonsense. But uh, what, what what did you get? To, what, what got spat out from the randomizer this time? I got the unbearable weight of massive talent. Oh, right. Okay. So I think you'd already seen this before, but yes. you watched it again, yeah? Yes, yeah, so I watched it, well, to be fair, I watched it last month, so I watched it in April, and this is May, so I didn't really need to watch it again, and I'd already given you my kind of private review of it when I said, oh, by the way, I've, I've caught uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent, so yeah, it's absolutely mental, however, I do feel like the best part of this film isn't Nicolas Cage, it's Pedro Pascal. Yeah, I love Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal is just the boy, he's just great, I love him, um, and yeah... Um, it's absolutely bonkers. It's daft. The best bit in the film is when they all do mushrooms or some yeah. sort of hallucinogenic, and yeah, it's got some really good beats. Um, but all the the the, the show is stolen by Pedro Pascal. There's no two ways about it. Um, yeah, it, it's if you're looking for a film with a plot or acting and all that stuff, don't bother. Yeah, it's, it's quite completely it's, nonsense. It's, it's it's quite meta. It's kind of everyone's having a little bit of fun with the whole Nick Cage phenomenon, really. And if that's if that's what you're in the mood for, it does have some good fun stuff going on. But like you say, it doesn't um, it it doesn't really stand on its own. You have to have watched a bunch of other Nick Cage films for, for in the first instance, and this is kind of a riff on that rather than a film that stands on its own, isn't it? Yeah, it's got um, Tiffany Haddish and Ike Badenholtz, who I also enjoyed in kind of smaller. Yeah. Supporting roles and they're just there to kind of be funny, and yeah. they are funny. Um, but yeah, the story is weak. Um, it's not. It's nothing to do with the story. It's just the, the kind of novelty of seeing Nick Cage play Nick Cage, and and and, and, and his own crazy invisible friend, which I enjoyed. Yeah, uh, who's uh, is that? Not one of his former roles. I can't remember the film it's from. 
but kind, a film. kind of it's, a, it's it's sort of a it's a bit of a merge of several it's a bit of a merge of him in Wild at Heart a bit of him in a little bit of the I'm a Vampire stuff and also I'm some of his and some of his kind of uh, slightly offbeat TV appearances uh, yeah so there's a few things going on there um, but yeah very good fun stupid uh, would be the the way I would describe it but it's great fun if you're just thinking, right, do I what do I watch watch a film with a pizza in front of me and just see where things go? That's basically it. Okay, and that's that's the film I would reckon. Yeah, I mean the the fact that it more or less held up on a second viewing is fairly good as well, isn't it? Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to I wanted to mention on this is that what we've been we we haven't quite agreed what because um, I sort of give my projects a name, don't I? Like this is mine's called the Cronenberg Institute. I had the Year of the Carpenter, I had the Kubrick Odyssey. We didn't really have a name for this, so what I did was I threw this onto the socials. A few sort of people who kind of follow this. I, I said, yeah, what, do you, "What do you think of this?" And I, I got some answers about our possible names for this. Some of the ones that we were talking about were Cage Concern, Glass Cage of Emotion, Cage of Extinction, Cage Cage Against the Dying of the Light, Cage Sex Location. Uh, legal cage of consent, <laughs> cage heat, cage limit. Um, so what have we got? Uh, people, a couple of people threw out their own uh, options. Cage before beauty was one of them. Um, uh, legal cage of consent got some support, I have to say. Um, <laughs> cage sex location. Someone said it's good, but perhaps a, ge- a bit generationally niche because it's like from a from the internet a long time ago. Um, Glass cage of emotion is also supported. Someone came up with a very niche one. Narrow cage railway. (laughs) 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 Which I think is is funny in the context of the conversation, but I don't think works as a title to this. The only guy that gets that one is that mad Francis. What's his name? The Francis guy who puts a camera on his head and looks at trees. Have you seen that guy? Yeah. Yeah. And another one, which is again, even more niche and even more out of date. Someone said cage of goo goo. Because what? There was used to be a band called Kajagugu. Again, you have to be fifty for that even to make okay, sense. Now. So, um, and someone else said the Cage of Innocence, but I think um, uh, Legal Cage of Consent got oh, a fair bit of support. <laughs> or, or um, what was the other one? Glass Cage of Emotion. I think those are the two like most favourites. So you can pick one of those two if you want to give your. I will. I will toss a coin. Okay, and and we'll come up with. Well, we'll just put one say Legal Cage of Consent. Well, tell it, tell it, tell us next month what you decide. Oft in suspense. It'll be fucking June by the time we have a title for this thing. <laughs> for this 12-month project. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. James, yours is based on Nicolas Cage films, watched at random. You've been watching different ones each month. And one of the things we did last month was we came up with some suggestions for what we're going to call this project, because I always call mine something like the Year of the Carpenter or the, the Kubrick Odyssey, whatever it is. This one's mine, mine, this year I've got the Cronenberg Institute. You have to come up now, I have to make a choice. What name are you giving your Nick Cage project for this year? Did we not just say this in the last one? Am I making that up? It's no, not no. Cage of Consent. No, you said you were gonna you said you were gonna announce it this episode, but it's suspense. I thought we said we would let the audience come up with it. Oh no, they came up with suggestions and yes, that's right. Legal Cage of Consent. Okay, so <clears throat> James's project is called Legal Cage of Consent. We'll be putting it out uh, under that name. Um, <laughs> so you found a randomizer online that spits out a Nick Cage film for you to watch. So it could be anything. You've had Lord of War, which was quite good. You've had, uh, you'd have had um, some pretty grim ones. What what did the randomizer send you this month? It blessed me. It, it held my prayers and it gave me Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, really good. Oh, excellent. Yeah, because he's in that, isn't he? Yeah. Plays uh, noir. He plays the noir one. It's quite hard for me to say that word. Yeah. Um, So I basically just got to watch a good film that he's sort of in. Um, Yeah. Not much to say about this film. I think we've spoken about it on this podcast already, but I didn't think it was as good as everyone else did. I thought it was... I think it was great. It was another film that... My missus enjoyed, and that's an absolute chore to get her to watch a film because all she wants to watch is Love Island and Queer Eye. Um, but no, she enjoyed it. I think it's it's a very accessible film. Yeah. I thought the animation might be quite jarring from what I saw in trailers at the time, but no, it's a perfectly good film. I'm actually excited to see the new one because I've watched this one again recently. So yeah, Nick Cage is funny in it. I think he was perfectly cast for this kind of minor supporting role as the... Uh, noir detective version of spider-man from the 1930s Hmm. um but yeah great film it's not much to say about nick cage because he's not really in it it's only a supporting role in it isn't he yeah yeah um 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's good fun, though. I, I imagine there was some fantasy casting when they did this film. So, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we got Nick Cage to play Spider-Man Noir? And, he, and then when they actually get me, like, they can have fun with it, you know? Yeah. Although sometimes you, you got... You, I think you should avoid that. Like, my, the best example would be Django Unchained is because the Will Smith was the initial choice and he kind of turned his nose up at it and then they gave it to Jamie Foxx. And I don't think I could have watched Django Unchained with Will Smith. As the lead roles, yeah, I know. It, yeah, I mean, we could we could do a big conversation one of these days about like casting what ifs and stuff because it's quite interesting when you see some great films that have had other people like um, Eric Stoltz was originally going to be um, in Back to the Future and they started filming. They realised it wasn't working and they they knew that Michael J, Michael J Fox was the only person who could make it work. Harvey Keitel was originally the main character in Apocalypse Now instead of Martin Sheen. Um, so you're right. Sometimes you shouldn't get what you want. You know, first Sounds time. like you're onto something there. In the business, we call this foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, let's uh, let's consider some casting what ifs for a future big conversation, right? Okay, mate. Well, an- anything else to add on your uh, your cage entry uh, for for this month? No, sir. Okay. Well, another entry in legal cage of consent will be available next month. We don't know what it is because James has them picked for him at random. We're both doing sort of year-long projects. Uh, James's uh, one, we finally got a name halfway through the year, Legal Cage of Consent, in which you're looking at uh, Nick Cage films that are picked for you by, at random by some tool you found on the internet. We've had a range of things, some good, some bad. Um, what did the mighty uh, randomizer select for you for this month, mate? It was a good one. It was, drum roll, please, Knowing. <laughs> I remember this one. Now, as no. I recall, we rented this, stuck it on, and didn't really know anything about it. So as we're watching it, the, the true uh, cageness of what was going on here sort of unfolded in front of our eyes, right? Yes. It's um, it's a sort of... I don't know. It's like a mystery action sci-fi thriller type thing. It's starring Nicolas Cage, who's a professor at MIT, who starts to kind of pick up on these numbers that are appearing everywhere, and he thinks they're all linked to catastrophes. So it's an interesting kind of premise, so you'll see certain numbers, and he thinks it aligns to like a date and a time of when disaster happens. He goes, it starts in like 1959, and it's it's basically it trails on from then to Nick Cage in the present day and we have like he thinks oh what's going on with these numbers it's got kind of spooky bits with his um, I don't know if it's his daughter but there's a, a child in it that scratches numbers into into the wall yeah. and he's thinking hmm there's something weird going on here and then there's like a massive plane crash that happens on the, the date um, specified by these uh, these strings of numbers it's very it's sort of like the number 23 in that sense Um where a, yeah, a man yeah. is trying to see if there's any connection between these just these random strings of numbers and the catastrophes that might happen with it. Now, the number 23 was very shit, but knowing, I think we both agree that it was a very interesting premise for the first 50 minutes or so. Yeah, I remember you know? watch. I remember watch this because it's like I don't know if this is supernatural. I don't know if this is uh, you know pure sci-fi. Uh, quite what's going on here, but watching it unfold, it was really good. And then you sort of start. To, I start to get this inkling, and I think you did as well. You went, I've got an idea where I think this is going, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. It, so with that, to the listeners who haven't seen this film. You're probably thinking, okay, so what disasters does it link to? Does it link to things like uh, the tsunami in 2004 or the earthquakes that happen all the time? No, it's just aliens. That that's basically what ends up happening. It's just aliens. Yeah. And the, is it? They're they're here to save the kids. These aliens come and they save these two kids, and then the rest of the world gets destroyed. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the, 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 the Nick, Nick Cage goes, "Oh right, then. Uh, well, off you go then." <laughs> Yeah, like, oh yeah, see you later, son. We'll like, all stay here and get blown up. Yeah, we can't. This sh- this massive advanced alien ship that's just flown across the fucking galaxy can't can't have any space for adults. They've only got child size uh, capsules, 
and uh, sleeping quarters. In I this, think there uh, was really something in the story yeah. about you know the humans, you know the adults have had their chance and they're they're they're, they're too you know yeah, immoral and stupid flimpy. and the kid the children are our future. It kind of. You know, like this kind of joke that you know, the, you know you've written a story or in a, like write a story for homework at school, and you don't know how to finish it, and then you just go, and then they were all eaten by a spider. The end. It was kind of like that sort of abrupt ending, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's very much similar vibes to the day the Earth stood still kind of thing, where it's just oh, oh, aliens, is it? Oh, okay, right, switch yeah. off. Yeah, that yeah. would be my review of this film. Aliens, yeah, switch off. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's not as cagey, not as kind of. There's not enough, not as many opportunities for Cage to kind of go nuts. In fact, I think probably if they'd if they'd stuck a better ending on the end of this film, you'd be thinking this is one of Nick Cage's better films. But in yeah, oh, it's definitely. not it's not it's not like one of these ones where Nick Cage has gone. Oh look, this is nonsense. I'm just gonna I'm gonna chew the scenery and have some fun. I think he's doing his best with it, and then the ending lets everybody down, which is a shame. I think when you start fucking about with stories that are mystery related or relating to numbers i think you're going to struggle because it's oh a plane crash happened on the 11th of you know january 2009 and you go okay but realistically plane crashes aren't common in relation to the amount of flights they have but i imagine there's a plane crash today somewhere in the world i'm not saying that to be morbid but do you know what I mean? Oh, there's probably going to be an earthquake in California today. It might not be a big one. It might be a bad one. But there'll probably be some tremors. You know what I mean? It's what it's one of those things where how do you flesh out the plot yeah, yeah. to make it re- realistic in that kind of universe where the numbers are connected? The numbers, you know, how do they... Um, how do you kind of pad that out and make a story from it? And I think that's the problem with it is that the ending was always going to be shit. So they just yeah. went aliens. I think that it's the kind of storyline where any laziness gets ruthlessly exposed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. James, yours was partly through the year given its title Legal Cage of Consent, in which you watch a Nicolas Cage film uh, chosen for you at random by uh, a tool on the internet. Uh, what were you given to watch this month? I was given The Wicker Man. Oh, excellent. Now we've already covered already covered this this podcast on the remake Hate Watch, but your that might have been before you actually started doing all the features. So your perspective on it will be interesting. It's an absolute disaster. Um, it's terrible. It's got no nothing redeemable about it. But if you just want to sit there, crack open a nice a nice beer, and just sit down and be blown away that someone greenlit this film and said yep this is a very good idea with Nicolas Cage full batshit crazy Nicolas Cage I mean he he walks around in a bear suit and just punches somebody out without warning it's madness madness from the beginning of this film he stood in a kitchen with an old woman he knocked her out (laughs) and then obviously the, the final the final scene of not the bees, not the bees. It's it's I one of it. it launched a thousand memes, didn't it? Yeah, it, honestly, it it's so so bad, and you have to have to watch it. It's like uh, the room. It's, it's just so terrible. It's awful, but you need to watch it just to kind of because I think what's good about it is that if you start watching other like later Nicolas Cage films like what's the one he did about the pig was that just called pig pig yeah and then he did was it Molly Mandy Mandy oh, same drug um, <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> um, <laughs> same drug that he'd consumed copious amounts of well, before he went on to the set of Wicked Man yeah but it makes you think, right, he's obviously... Because he obviously did... like He had a really strong 90s and then a really mental um, noughties. And then he sort of came back at the end of the... the, the what was it? The 10s and then the 20s. We're kind of interested to see what he does now. So I think you need to see this film to kind of think it's part of the the kind of Nicolas Cage redemption story. Um, yeah. I mean, do you... I mean, he is absolutely batshit in this film in a way that he hadn't been in a while. There was this element of... Earlier films like that one where he goes on about being a vampire and was it Vampire's Kiss or something? Just some of that early crazy mad stuff. And he just found a little niche for himself as a much more kind of stoic, 
like action hero, and even in um, uh, Face Off, the the Cage Madness sort of had a context. But this, he just goes completely off the deep end. And do you, do you think he always intended to do that for this film, or do you think he started to do that once he realised that there was no chance of this being a good film? I just think he didn't have a director to kind of channel it well, or give Nicolas Cage, you know, a kind of direction to go with the character. He just thought, oh, Nicolas Cage is here, it'll, it'll gain interest. And Nicolas Cage went, all right, okay, I'll just go fucking bananas then. And that's just what happened. Yeah, it does feel like the rest of the film, no one's actually particularly got an angle on the story, why they're even there or why they're even doing it. And Cage comes in and goes, well, I know why I'm fucking doing this, and goes, Wah! there's no... Um, there's no indication that the um, the director. It's not. I, I I genuinely don't think the director of the film will have sat down with Nicolas Cage and strategized this. I think the director of this film took this movie. It, none, nothing else worked, and the only thing that's kind of notable about this film. I mean, if, if any, if if anyone else, if Nick Nick Cage had come in and played this straight, or anyone else had played his character and played it straight, you'd have just gone, meh. Shouldn't have done it. Boring, dull. But we're actually talking about the Wicker Man and people. People who haven't even seen The Wicker Man will have seen gifts from this, uh, like uh, fr- from this film, all over the internet. He's he's. It's it's hard to describe what he's done here without just showing. <laughs> just watch the yeah, film and try and work out what the it. hell he's done with it. So I mean, it, it didn't. I mean, did you? Uh, I mean, you've seen it before. Did you glean anything new from this viewing? No, it's shit. It's really bad. It's really, 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 really bad. There's nothing else to add. It's shit, but it's entertaining. It's 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 entertaining. It's entertaining because he goes full cage in it. Because otherwise, yeah. it's it does. I mean, without sort of re, you know relitigating what we discussed about it in in the in the remake Hate Watch, it's it's nothing like as good as the original film. They decide to make the whole thing PG thirteen. In which case, why bother? None of the changes of setting or anything else make any difference. There is. They've decided to make it more of a female-led society, but they don't do anything interesting with that. It's like, uh, it, it's just, you know what they've done is they've started with, it's it, it's the mid-2000s, it's between the year 2000 and 2009, we are remaking all the films, that all, all the sort of classic horror films of the past, and we're going to do it badly. And any attempt to kind of put a new spin on it, it's just like some half-hearted, let's justify to ourselves why we're doing this shit. And it wouldn't stand out for for any other reason except that Nick Cage has just opened up both barrels from the beginning to the end of the film. Absolutely. Well, there we are. Anything else to add on The Wicker Man in Legal Cage of Consent? No, it's... Watch it, but hate it. (laughs) Hate it and love it. So, yeah, James, you'll be back with your ninth entry in this next month. We don't know what it's going to be because unlike my list where I sort of plan and curate what I'm going to do, you are just... You get thrown some. It's like you you you're standing in front of one of those kind of machines that chucks a tennis ball out, and you, you just kind of react to what you get, yeah. right? Um, so that's it. Another another surprise for James in the legal cage of consent will arrive next month. You've got a slightly more random one, mate, called legal cage of consent, uh, exactly. in which the internet generates a Nick Cage film for you to watch at random. So there, you know, you don't get to plan or choose or pick your your Nick Cage films. You get one thrown at you, and you have to watch it and see how you feel about it. What did what got thrown at you this month? Are you ready? I am ready. To be fair, it wasn't even a bad one. It was leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> Worth discussing, right? Because after after all these years, the 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 Nick Cage Oscar film, the one where he wins. You know, best actor and everything else. Um, it's I'm I'm genuinely interested in what your thoughts are on this. So, yeah, he was very good. It was a it was a very gritty performance. I thought, and I think it's up there. I think it's a discreetly underrated performance. It could be up there, but like the most underrated ever. Mm. I think it's a very good performance about a man's struggle with addiction. Um, and yeah, it's a really you know sad and desperate story, and I was impressed. The, I think I was more impressed with the fact that it wasn't your typical Nick Cage that we hmm. we know and love. Um, and yeah, it, it's a, it's in that bracket of roles and performances where he he sort of calibrates how much of him he's going to put in 
you know, because this is, he takes it seriously because it's serious subject matter, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, there's not really much else to say. It's a, it's a tragic story about a man's struggle with alcohol and Nick Cage. It's a, it's a beautiful performance. I think it's, it's sad, desperate and, you know, definitely his, his top, top performance, I think by some distance. Yeah. I mean, he is really very good in it and it's weird because Hollywood has this rather mixed relationship with like alcoholism. I mean, there are a lot of sort of alcoholics in Hollywood and socially it's the, it's the, it's the most acceptable vice, isn't it? It's like there's this, you spend a long period of going, ah, he was out pissed again. Oh, what a lad. And then you find out that they've got a real problem with alcohol and everyone sort of nods and goes, oh yes, alcohol's a terrible thing. And it, this film's really unsparing on how, on how desperately, a desperate a struggle someone has when they're addicted to alcohol, right? And it really kind of, Mike Figgis, the director, doesn't pull any punches, does he? Yeah, no, it was, um, I think it was just, I think the thing that took me off guard was the fact that it was a Nick Cage film. Like, you could have mm. easily seen anyone playing that role. And it was just, it was good to see Nick Cage doing something and rightly so, well, rightly winning his Oscar, sorry. Um, yeah, I was, I was almost excited to see it because everyone had talked talked about how you know yeah nick cage you know it's you know it's his performance it's his oscar mm-hmm. um i think yeah. people think people have rewritten history a little bit back over nick cage because obviously he, he became known for you know there's two kinds of nick cage performance batshit crazy nick cage or stoic action hero nick cage and that's not entirely true as evidence when we watched pig we kind of we watched it because we thought this is daft and actually he was actually a very serious and quite like restrained performance in it and it, that that side of Nick Cage isn't a surprise when you've seen Leaving Las Vegas because you're right; he's capable of a very, very serious, solid, no messing, you know, acting performance. Um, and I, I think, look, he approached it. Everyone involved in this film approaches it very seriously. You know, uh, uh, Elizabeth Shue plays the sex worker who uh, they basically fall in love, don't they? But it, it pulls no punches about how horrible her, like you know, some of her clients can be. Um, and how they just need a little bit of solace from the world together. The script was written by a, a Hollywood writer who actually, after this film was finished, drank himself to death. So there's a lot of there's a lot of personal pain in the film, and I think Nick Cage does a lovely job with it, doesn't he? Yeah, no, I would recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. Yes, yeah. um, it's very good. Yeah, very good. Okay, that's interesting. So you've got that gives you three more Nick Cage spots and you've had a few sort of, you've had a few crazy ones. You've had just sort of mad, terrible ones, but you have had, you have had a couple of like uh, strong showings as well, haven't you? Yeah. It's been a nice mixed bunch. Yeah. Yeah. So fun, fun having the rat, the randomizer. Um, It's good to get that. Tell the tell the lovely audience uh, what the what the idea and format of legal caging concern is. It was to just kind of give me a kind of thing of a similar ilk that you do with David Cronenberg, just to kind of talk about every month. So I thought, oh, why don't we pick one of Hollywood's more entertaining characters and just watch some Nick Cage films? And then we spent about three or four months trying to come up with a title. Um, settled on legal cage of consent and then once a month I go to a, a Nick Cage film generator and it just randomly picks a film for me. Very good and the, the fun bit about that is that because you don't know what you're going to get it can be pretty much anything and it, you sort of have to kind of uh, it's like it for me it's like the cinematic equivalent of those um, YouTube videos you see where the dogs learn to put the, the tennis ball in the machine and it flings it out and they have to run after it and every every month I find out what you've had flung at you and, and, and how you responded to it so what did you get this month? I got Con Air Okay um Presumably you've seen Con Air before. Yeah, I've seen it probably about 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, and this is the film that kind of coined the idea that you get two kinds of Nick Cage, stoic hero Nick Cage and batshit crazy Nick Cage. And this is this is where he kind of really got the, the stoic hero bit down. Um, what's your history with, with Con Air? Did you, did you like it when you first saw it? Was this part yeah, of your... Yeah, it was, was alright. It was, it, was it was a fun film. I think the aspect of it being in a plane... Um, is what makes the story interesting, a plane full of, you know, evil prisoners. But 
other than that, I didn't. I wasn't really taken aback by uh, Nick Cage's performance. I didn't remember it for Nick Cage. The only thing I remember is him going, "Put the bunny back in the box." That, I got, <laughs> that it was a bit Forrest Gumpy. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't like a wow. I'm going to watch Con Air again because I love Nick Cage. If I was to watch Con Air again because I I like those kind of films. I liked um, Flight Plan uh, mm-hmm. with Jodie Foster, and you know I think films that involve like the confined environment of a plane are always going to be interesting to watch. They're not always good, but. Yeah, I'd give it a 6 out of 10. It's uh, got a good performance from John Malkovich, mm-hmm. who's always a, a reliable baddie. They've, um, they've done well with the supporting cast they assembled, haven't they? But other than that, I don't think it, it, it's not going to blow anyone away. I think it's just, oh, Connie's on. I might just watch that for a bit, kind of kind of film, that you, kind of vibe. You said you weren't taken aback by his performance in this film. Were you taken aback by his hair? Oh, yeah, of course. His, his hair is probably the maddest thing in this film. That could have been nominated for an Oscar. That's yeah. That would be. It's it's it's. I, I, is it a mullet? I don't know what it is. I don't know what you call it, but it's very. I mean, for for those who haven't seen Con Air, surely everyone's seen Con Air. It's got this kind of quite manipulative setup, hasn't it? Where he's he's a special forces soldier who's back from serving, and obviously in America, that that they're pretty unequivocal about that. Thank you for your service. They're the best of us, and all that sort of thing. There's no question about that. And but in this area, he's treated very badly and disrespectfully, and his pregnant wife is is being kind of bullied. And he fights these guys, and because there's two of them, and he fights them, and he kind of uses some of his unarmed combat skills. And I think he either either maims one of the guys, or maybe one of the guys dies because he kind of does that kind of bridge of the nose through the brain thing. But he he gets five years, which I have to say seems like an incredibly harsh sentence for like. You know, I don't know how he couldn't find a lawyer who would kind of make a decent self-defense case for the fact that his pregnant wife was in trouble or anything like that. But off to prison, he went for like five years. I, I felt like they were really trying to whip the audience up, going, oh, the system, it's not fair. Look at this this guy. So that you're like, he, he's the most kind of, he's the most unjustly imprisoned person in the history of film, isn't he? Uh, he's got to be. He's like, he's up, it's like the Sean Bean equivalent of being in jail. If Sean Bean's going to die in a film, then yeah, he's going to be... Uh just in prison in a film. Yeah, and then and then they go, I know what we'll do. We'll take this incredible bunch of uh, uh, dangerous criminals and fly them on this kind of slightly shonky plane and give them ample opportunity to hijack it <laughs> and cause problems. And he's got to fly on the plane with them. He can't get the fucking train or something. He can't, you know, this... So the guy who's been... Everyone else on the plane is like an comp- incredibly dangerous prisoner who's been transferred to a new unit. He's being sent home but they've put him on the on you know he's about to be released but they've put him on the, the it's like i feel like they've worked very hard to contrive this whole setting <laughs> but yeah it's the one thing that kind of i found a little bit off about this film otherwise it's just good fun action it's 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 a very classic kind of 90s thing this film called broken arrow which follows a very very similar kind of format like you know crazy charismatic bad guy sort of a, a dogged hero has got to stop him um you know, it's kind of that '90s kind of full-on action, and a kind of um, John Cusack plays a similar part that uh, to the, there was a character in Breaking Arrow, the same thing. The, the the guy from normally drives a desk, who's the person who's going to fix things here. So it's very much to a formula. The thing that I found really weird was Steve Buscemi's character having the tea party with that little girl. That just kind of felt like not necessary. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because that whole thing, I'm sitting here going, really. Okay, why have we, why odd, we got this it? scene? It kind of sticks out. Um, the rest of it is just the normal kind of. They find some fun locations, like the you know the the bit in the desert for the plane to land. You've got a dickhead character whose car gets kind of thrown into the air and smashed. It all, it really, it, it's it's a very much all the elements are put together for like the kind of film you want. And then there's this really weird kind of oddly tonally strange bit with the. Um, the little girl is oh fuck what's this yeah um it it feels like it was directed by michael bay only it wasn't right yeah it didn't have i feel like it wasn't it didn't have all the kind of annoying quips that a michael bay film would have though mm. yeah like but just the, the unnecessary dialogue about robots having massive testicles yeah um, yeah yeah and all of that yeah um the yeah, but I mean, obviously, this is Michael Bay in the '90s is doing things like The Rock and 
you've got you know John Woo did Broken Arrow, and then this came out. So it's very much part of that era of yeah. quite fun action films, which I think are all a little bit dated now, but quite fun. And then there's the at the end they really crank it up with the kind of love ballad playing over him meeting his daughter for the first time and all that stuff. And you think, oh man, they are really someone has really like worked out how to manipulate the emotions of an audience in this movie. Um, I still don't know how seriously they were taking it, but I, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. It's kind of a it's a six out of ten film, which I'll probably watch. What one of the next five times it's on the, on the TV, I will probably watch it. It is one of those films. Just yeah. it's there, yeah. and now watch it. Yeah. Any other thoughts about Connor? Where where does it fit in the Nick Cage canon for you? Um, it's not. Th- it's not that memorable for me. I know people that like it, but it's not kind of doesn't highlight his acting chops up like the way Leaving Las Vegas did, and it's not as it's not a shit film which can stick out for Nick Cage. So it's sort of yeah. like a kind of middle of the road. He's not being daft. It's not unbearable to watch, um, but it's by no means like his best performance. Yeah, you've got. How many more have you got now? This is October, so you've only got November and December. What what are you hoping for on your last two instalments of your of your legal cage of consent project? I don't even know the name of the film, but I do enjoy the one where it looks like he potentially is kidding on he's Hispanic and just starts kicking about a hotel room going, Vive la fucking France, man. Yeah, I know the one you mean. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to find the, the title of that, either. but it's up to the generator. The generator gives me it. The generator yeah, yeah. gives me it. All hail the mighty generator. Yeah. Please don't curse me. James, you have a a, a project, uh, a resolution named to you by the audience and uh, com- uh, identified for you by the audience called Legal Cage of Consent. Uh, tell us, tell us what that's all about. Just watch one Nicolas Cage film a month. Um, and the interesting yeah. thing is how how that that film is chosen. So I go online to the K generator, um, and it just randomly spits out a Nicolas Cage film to me. Yeah, so I've got, I mean, there's only two more to do, one for November, one for December. I've got my fingers crossed for one or two Cage films, which you get, which I don't, I don't want to say, I, I, I'm, but I'm interested to see what comes up. What what was chosen for you for your penultimate um, Cage album? <sighs> I, know, I don't want to let you down, but it was The Croods. <laughs> <laughs> That's neither one thing nor the other, really, is it? Um, is he, does he have a big part in that, or does he just play like a supporting role or something? I didn't even watch enough of the film to be able to answer that question for you. <laughs> oh dear. So he's, I mean, he must just be one of the voice cast, right? I think he is one of the top build, but yeah, I wasn't watching that shit, man. I can't believe that got nominated for best animated film. Yeah. I mean, it's never best animated film. I mean, it's all right. It's a perfectly decent watch, but it's just kind of, it is a little bit sort of reminiscent of like the Flintstones. It's like, take the typical, like, you know, American sitcom family and put them in prehistory. Um, yeah, Nicolas Cage is the, he's the dad. So he's the main, he's the main character. He's the main dad character. Um, Emma Stone is his teenage daughter. Ryan Reynolds is a teenage cave boy. I mean, this isn't, this isn't the career pinnacle of anyone involved, is it? No. Uh- what was it? Was it? It was DreamWorks and Fox, wasn't it? So it was when this. I mean, this wasn't really competing with the great film. I mean, that's part of the golden age of animation. That wasn't really. Um, uh, it wasn't really competing, was it? Even though it was nominated at that year, I think we were past the peak of the golden age of animation. Yeah, Fro- yeah Frozen won that year, and you had Despicable Me Two, which is quite good. You had The Wind Rises, which is the last great Studio Ghibli. But yeah, it's. They're on the downhill stretch here, aren't they? Yeah. So, oh, well. Uh, so, yeah, look, I mean, it's not... No one no one lists that as a Nick Cage film you must watch out of his great films, his action films, or his crap films. It's just uh, there and there and nowhere, right? Any, anything to add? Any thoughts on the film when you watched it? No, it's just fucking... Nobody cares about a family of prehistoric... Humans. Well, not it's not since the Flintstones sixty years ago. Right? I'm not being funny. If the Flintstones came out today and it was a new thing, nobody would give a shit. It was no, just the sixties and it's fuck done. all was on the telly. Yeah, it's done. It's 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 an idea that's had its time, right? Didn't they do a sequel? They did a sequel to this, didn't they? And a yeah. television series. 
yeah so yeah no <laughs> it did um out of interest it did nearly 600 million dollars at the box office yeah christ christ on a fucking bike it's it's funny though when you with the what, what the one thing interesting with this when it makes you look back on the films that came out that year and when if you went what are the big films of 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 2013 you wouldn't have said the crudes would you no because Marvel's in full swing, you're still getting some Pixar. Um, yeah, I mean it is what it is. It's not. Yeah, I feel. I feel like we're. <laughs> With your permission, mate. I hope you don't mind. I'm. I'm planning on on doing your segments of of your Cage Project as a special episode. The way I release my, um, you know, my Kubrick jump <laughs> and everything. So oh, I, I, I feel like I feel like I'm stretching it out so they have more than like thirty seconds for this film. But there's really not a lot to say, is there? No, really isn't, man. No, I mean the Crude was number fourteen in the box office. I mean it's just it's just a nothing film. It's not a big flop. It's not terribly bad. It's not terribly good. It's just eh. Well, there you go. Um, Nick Cage probably paid some bills with that. We are now closing our twelve month projects. We've been doing one film a month uh, or a film representing each month because you, you had to sort of get make a little kind of catch up with your your first month's films. Um, where each month we watch a film according to a certain theme. Mine is the Cronenberg Institute, where I've been watching a collection or a selection of Cronenberg films, where I'm bringing mine to a climax. James, yours is called Legal Cage of Consent, um, where you watch a Nick Cage film picked for you at random. Um, I had my fingers crossed for what you might get with your last film. Uh, What did the mighty randomizer make you watch for your final installment of your project? So, I got to watch... The Rock. All oh, right. Okay. Now, I mean, again, I assume you've seen that before. I had seen it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was an okay one. It could have been an absolute fucking disaster. No, Nick Cage's uh, sort of filmography. Yeah. You know, it could have been, you know, Ghost Rider Two or something like that. Or was it, I think I watched Ghost Rider Two. It was Ghost Rider One. It could have been. It could mm-hmm. have been an absolute horror show. But it was The Rock. Not really a Nick Cage film, but it's a film that he's in. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean. he's kind of, you think he's going to be the lead in the movie and then Sean Connery turns up, right? Yeah. Um, he's still prominent in it. He's no, he's probably at least top two billing. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was, uh, it's it's The Rock. It's, you know, it's before Michael Bay went to fucking pot. It was probably, it's, but it's definitely Michael Bay's yeah. best film. It's a solid film. Jerry Bruckheimer had him under control, didn't he? Yeah, and it's... It's just like a. It's it's a it's a it's a fun idea for a film, isn't it? A group of a group of elite soldiers with a grievance take over Alcatraz, and now you've got to break into the prison. Yeah, there you go. You've got it, and and they they get a guy who the only other person to escape from Alcatraz. They sort of hire him against his will to help them do it. Yes, please. Yeah, and I think they benefit from having um, Ed Harris as the villain because Ed Harris is always brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, he makes he makes him the kind of villain that you don't entirely dismiss. He's like, okay, I can. He seems to have a grievance. You don't agree with what he's doing, but you see, you know, and he's very good. He's very. He, does, he gives you a lot of like emotion and motivation to the character, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I thought it's a perfectly good film, like a good six or seven out of ten. Um, mm-hmm. Sean Connery is just Sean Connery as usual. Um, you know, good action star, um, and yeah. It, I think it was a nice way to end out the year. It could have been something disastrous, um, but no, I thought, yeah, solid final entry for a mm-hmm. legal cage of consent. Very good, yeah. I mean, it's a very 90s film. It's like a 90s blockbuster, which for you watching that is like me watching a 70s blockbuster, as opposed to a 70s classic. It's like watching a 70s action film that was the biggest film of 1975 that, you know, and you'd look back at it and go, all of these stylistic choices are just not current, are they? Um but yeah, it's good fun. I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, uh, Sean Connery insisted on rewrites of the script. Not surprised. Basically, he d- he did this thing where he made a, the that unofficial Bond film, Never Say Never Again, and the two British scriptwriters who were from TV, the Likely Lads and stuff, Clement and Lafrenet, 
Um, they went to America to be script doctors. And whenever Sean Connery gets an idea where he quite likes the idea of the film, but the script is shit, he says, I'll do it, but these guys have got to rewrite it. And this is one of the films. So all the funny lines in that film, you know, like where the hairdresser is kidnapped in the in, in the, the lift when uh, Sean Connery's trying to escape because he insisted on getting a haircut because he's all shaggy. And goes, I don't know who you are or what you've done. I just want to know, did you like your haircut? Every every line you like from that film was, you know, was introduced by the script writers that... Uh, um, uh, Sean Connery insisted on. Other than that, it's just a good solid action film, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's not terrible. That's that. That would be my final comment on it. It's yeah, yeah. not terrible. So, have you have you enjoyed? It's it's a fascinating idea that you found that the Nick Nick Cage films picked at random. Have you have you enjoyed having a film thrown at you to try and react? Yes. To? However, if next year it will probably be something where I pick the twelve films mm-hmm. like you have. Yeah. Because then I can comment on. You know. You know. I don't think we got the. Nick Cage reading the Alphabet film. I don't know what film. Yeah, that there's a, there's a couple of films that like when you got the Crude. Just what am I supposed to do with this? It's yeah, just an absolutely enough. bang average film, right? So, yeah, perhaps mm-hmm. if we, we obviously won't be Nick Cage next year, but we'll pick a mm-hmm. we'll pick something fun. We'll come up with a fun title for it, and then we'll maybe just go with twelve films. Very good, very good. There is some Nick Cage in our future. There's a couple of things I'd like to do next year, which are Nick Cage films. Uh, so it's not over for Nick Cage in this podcast. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been a great idea. I've really enjoyed listening to you talk about the films, mate. So that that's that. Wonderful. Thanks for listening to this special anthology episode of Double Reel. Legal Cage of Consent was brought to you by my co-host James Adamson. So thank you to him and the mighty Nick Cage randomizer. Thanks also to Podbean and Audacity for their continued support in the making of the Double Real Film podcast. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. That wraps it up for everything we did on Double Real in 2023. If you've enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about us. Our next regular episode will be out at the end of January, and please look out for any new special episodes we announce in the future. Until then, stay safe, watch lots of films, and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media.